and you've probably heard the uh, the phrase uh, data is the new oil. So I guess in this instance, data is the new oil-based paint. Oh, 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 well done. Sorry about that. Welcome to the Geek and Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. On this week's show, we'll talk to Jeff Zoda of Pearl Care Search Group about legal industry jobs and what's hot and what's not during and after the pandemic. Some surprising information from Jeff, especially on the number of hires over the past year and the trends toward data analytics going forward. Well, that's a great interview coming up, but uh, I think a lot of people are worried about us from last week. We decided to take the week off just because we didn't have any power around here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we didn't want to use a crank generator <laughs> to, yeah, to actually yes. get the podcast out. So Pretty pretty hard to do a show in the dark. So, that's um, right. I know that I was happy that uh, we decided when we bought this place in Houston some 16 years ago that uh, we bought it with the fireplace. I haven't really needed to use the fireplace before, but it really came in handy last week. So how'd you fare? Um, pretty good. We, you know, we also had the fireplace going and uh, not too bad. We had a one broken window, one cracked window as a result of the cold. So uh, I think we fared pretty well. Yeah, pretty well. Well, it's great to be back. And uh, you know, I would say this, if anyone's really curious, it's actually 80 degrees here in Houston today. So, you know, I can't feel too sorry for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like we we have these this this bad weather, cold snap, but then things get back to to warm. So, all right. Well, speaking of getting back to something, let's get to this week's information inspiration. So, Marlene, I ran across this really interesting podcast about intellectual property rights and AI technology. Charlotte Kilpatrick from Manage IP, she interviewed these three guests about an AI product that allows you to type in some words into a piece of software, and that software then creates images as a result of those text prompts. So the three guests have a discussion about who owns the art. Is the human making the art using the AI as a tool, or is the AI creating the art by using some of the prompts from the human, but it's creating the art on its own? So... You know, would the ownership change because of where the work is created? So example, if I'm in the U.S. and I create this work, is that different than if I'm in the U.K. and I create this work? And then finally, should there even be a copyright protection at all on this type of work? Really, really interesting interview on this. I also have to say that if you didn't know that a machine actually created this art, you would have thought, that it was actually created by a human, Marlene. So, yeah, I was going to ask you if the actual uh, result was sort of similar to you know what we've seen about you know AI writing songs, <laughs> things no, like that. But no. it sounds like this is actually pretty good. This is actually pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, if you have a link, the um, they actually it, it's funny in the conversation they posted some of the artwork on the website for the the podcast and. One of the things was the, the uh, Charlotte, when she was asking, she's like, am I going to get in trouble for posting this on my website? <laughs> but the artwork is actually really, really well done. And so it's it, it's much better than, I guess, uh, writing, writing a pop song. Well, that's good. It's like, as long as it has happy little trees, I'm okay. <laughs> so there's a topic that a lot of us like to avoid, and that is succession planning. First, it's uncomfortable. And second, 
it's uncomfortable. (laughs) But, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be like that. Giving future leaders exposure to different aspects of the practice is actually an excellent way to prepare them for increasing responsibility. Now, I bought my first house from a couple who were moving for that exact reason. So he was a new executive at an automotive company, and he was going to be spending a couple years overseas to understand the manufacturing process there. Then they'd be moving him around until he had exposure to the entire organization. Now, you may not be able to send people overseas, particularly now, (laughs) but there are a lot of inexpensive ways to do this. And so here are a few things you can consider. Have meetings of different groups. You can share work perform, workflows, staffing ideas. Cross-train people. Make sure that they can do more than one thing so that they can shift around as needed. Be transparent about the decision-making process and business decisions. So people who understand how and why things get done are more effective about supporting that process or suggesting an improved method. Professional development. Encourage people to take on more and different responsibilities when possible so that they can grow into future needs. And encourage outreach and engagement to learn about other areas of the organization. All right. Well, my second inspiration is really close to my heart in the fact that I oversee the process of creating the draft pitches and the RFPs for my firm. And the fact that we've talked here on this show about the T-shaped lawyers and Delta model for lawyers. Well, it also turns out that Dan Kane, the general counsel of regions at Network Rail in the UK, also created this thing called the O-shaped lawyer. So, so many lawyer shapes. There's so many shapes. So <laughs> it's the lawyer alphabet. <laughs> so in this instance, the uh, the five O's framework it was created by a, a memorable way to showcase the critical role of open-minded, original, opportunistic ownership and optimism, and those have become the guiding principles to define what is called the O-shaped lawyer program. So. Now I'm going to tie this back to the RFP and the pitches because EasyJet in the United Kingdom has put the O-shaped lawyer process into their RFP questions. And they're requiring law firms to explain how their lawyers' human-centric skills affected their work style and results. In the RFP, they're asking the responding firms to do things like create a five-minute pitch video that introduces their attorneys. They also ask them to answer how they would provide a voicemail-style advice in a meeting. So they give them a complex question, and they have to answer it as though they're answering it in a voicemail. So you know, how, wow. how do they take something complex and mm-hmm. make it simple? It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the one that uh, I, I think is uh, really interesting, and I would love to watch attorneys try and try and handle this one, is they ask the attorneys some kind of bizarre business scenario quiz, like, you and your team are stuck at the top of a mountain, and you've only packed these few items. And then in real time, they ask which them- Which one do you eat first? Yeah. <laughs> which person which do you Which one of your first? team do you eat first? Yeah. It's the make your own adventure question. Yeah, but they, what they do is they actually, the team, the EasyJet team, turns off their microphones and the video that shows them, and they watch the team of lawyers navigate their way down the mountain. 
And so they observe. That's so cool. It is, isn't it? I, I, mean, <laughs> I want to I be those people watching them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be the people doing it. I want to be the people no. asking and watching. So, But they observe how the team interacted. They watch out for who was dominating the discussion. They look for who lost interest in the process and who may have been persuaded to change their minds during the process. So yeah, again, it sounds like a lot of fun and it's a really interesting way uh, to get past the legal expertise that the law firms are touting and the response to the RFP. And it really sees the dynamic of the individuals on the legal team and how they interact as a group. Yeah, that does sound really, really interesting. I hope we hear more about that. Well, Ken Crutchfield has an interesting article in Above the Law today regarding the dangers of interpreting customer response the wrong way. So I have two words. New Coke. Yuck. Remember New Coke? (laughs) Yuck. (laughs) Ken does. (laughs) So a bit of history for the kids. Uh, Back in 1985, Coke had been losing market share to Pepsi for some time. So Coke set out to find a new formula that people preferred over Pepsi. The formula for new Coke, which was ultimately renamed Coke 2 before it was completely removed from shelves, was actually preferred over Pepsi. Yet Coke had to reintroduce the original formula as Coke Classic a mere three months after releasing new Coke. Now, Coke had the research right, but didn't factor in what would happen if the old and loved formula were completely replaced by the new one. So what can you do to avoid these sorts of pitfalls and have success? Like the Trapper Keeper. Uh, Ken has a link to that in his article. Uh, Well, Ken shares a few ideas. Innovators need to dig deeper to interpret the results of research. And it's also important to review a proposed solution completely with customers or users. Uh, That should include anything that's changing or that's being taken away, new Coke. A way to more effectively perform research is to ensure there's proper context. Now, there are full systems like contextual design, and I just ordered this book, that can be leveraged to get a comprehensive understanding of your users or customers. If you like free, like we do here, you can define a persona of a user. So you find and you group similar behaviors and characteristics. So people who like calls versus emails, for example. And this can inform what viewpoints should be taken into account. You can gather data in a task-based context. So if someone likes a report, ask them why they sought it out and why it's valuable to them. Know your client and who they support. So knowing this can help you define importance and make informed decisions, which should lead to best outcomes. Innovation in all different ways. Yep. And Greg, that wraps up this week's Information inspirations. As we're watching the AMLA 100 and 200 revenues roll in for 2020, along with many firms hitting record revenue and profits, for those who worked in firms last year, it did not feel like record profit years. Many of us, especially on the business side of the equation, were managing our budgets and people like we were in a worldwide pandemic. So what does this mean for the employment stability going forward? We brought in an expert recruiter to share his insights on what happened in 2020 and where he thinks we're headed in 2021 and beyond. We'd like to welcome Jeff Zoda, Chief Solution Officer, IT Search at Pearl Care Search Group to the show. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. 
Great. Jeff, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and what types of roles you recruit for law firms, accounting firms, and other high-level professional service companies? Well, I've been in the uh, professional services search area for the past 12 plus years and mostly specializing actually within the legal technology space. Um, I work with law firms across the globe, different sizes, and I work on uh, anything from C-level to uh, you know, more of the you know, very technical engineering positions. So, you know, here's the big question since, you know, you have been working in, in legal tech. How has the past year affected legal professionals with their job stability? Job stability was a word that couldn't even be said about six months ago. It's been an industry that was ravaged at the beginning of the pandemic. I think a lot of firms were very uncertain of the future as far as you know the working situation. Their clients obviously were hit with the pandemic as well. So a lot of people were wondering, where do we go from here? So with that, people were cut. Jobs were furloughed. People had to take, you know, salary cuts. So in the middle of the year, once everybody figured out how to deal with the pandemic, the hiring steadily, you know, rose. And now we're back at a situation where, according to the American lawyer uh, media, the ALM, the legal industry has added about 5,000 jobs recently. And you could even tell by just browsing the ILTA websites or ALA, there's a lot of new positions and a lot of positions within some of the larger firms in the industry. You mentioned you've been in this for about 12 years. So if, I, if my math is right, you, you came in about the time that we had the, the Great Recession and we were dealing with all of the turmoil at, at that point. But one of the things that we saw that was really different this time around than what happened in, in 2008, 2009 is that, and, and you'd kind of mentioned this, is that there were alternative methods that uh, these uh, legal services or, or law firms were doing with their employees. They furloughs, pay cuts, there was deferments for some of the people coming in. And so they were trying all of these different things rather than just the flat out layoffs like we saw a decade ago. It, now, did you see that being maintained throughout all of 2020? So, yeah, that, that's a great question, Greg. I think that a lot of times, you know, with the furloughs, a lot of people did get their jobs back um, in some capacity. Um, as far as the pay cuts, some firms actually paid back the money that was lost due to the pay cuts during that time span. So they did the math and figured out how much money was lost. And they, you know, they uh, not only brought them back up to where they needed to be, but once everybody realized that they were on steadier ground, they actually made up for the money that was lost. And then as far as deferments for partners, I can't speak as much to that because I don't do a lot of uh, attorney searches, but I've heard that that was made up as well for mo you know, most cases. So you were mentioning the uh, ALM stats about five thousand jobs that were um, that that are now in place, but I guess the question is like what you know what sorts of jobs are we talking about because it's probably not the same as it was before the pandemic hit. So what's the most important to legal employers now? You know how are they structuring the workforce in twenty twenty one and and beyond, and and how is that different from pre twenty twenty? Now that that's a phenomenal question, and I'd say the key word that you know I've heard from 
employers a lot recently is versatility. They really want someone that could wear different hats. A lot of individuals that may just have, you know, one niche or one sort of role that sort of fell out of favor, not, not from the sense of, you know, their skill sets not being in demand, more so that clients do want someone that can do multiple things. So they don't necessarily need to hire two to one on a ratio. They know that they can rely upon, you know, Marlene, for example, to do two things instead of one. So they're sort of squeezing the lemon a little bit more. But, you know, I, I do think overall, organizations are looking for that person that is willing to raise their hand, really be part of that consummate collaboration. Because more now than ever, with a lot of remote work going on, you need to be able to speak under, you know, over many mediums in order to really have that cohesive unit that everybody's looking for. So I think, you know, during a lot of interviews that I've seen, you know, the word communication and collaboration is used a lot more than it was previously. So the versatility and then the communication skills were the two biggest things. Do you think that that's going, that's limited to the remote work environment that we're in, that obviously there needs to be a, a better communication process because you know, there, there are lots of people that have been hired this last year that have never physically seen their coworkers. Um, so <laughs> is it, do you think that that's just an effect of, or a byproduct of the current situation, or do you see this as going as something that will go forward? I think that it's going to be a trend that continues to move forward. Uh, main reason being, I don't know when we'll see, you know, workers 100% in the office. So with the hybrid schedules, with not everybody being in the same place every day, everybody's going to be forced to doing a Zoom, to messaging on Teams. There's going to be different meetings, you know, for people to communicate. So, you know, not only is it the verbal communication that's important, it's also, you know, how do you write? How's your emails, you know, to ensure that everybody can work together and really collaborate and communicate in a variety of different ways. So I, I to answer your question long-winded wise, it definitely is going to continue. Just to kind of follow up on that, because of the remote working situation, just the decentralized uh, process of the work environment right now, we've seen a lot of technology coming into effect, whether it's Zoom, whether it's Teams, you know, there's a, a, a number of collaboration type processes out there in softwares. So what kind of technology changes are you seeing and what is it that the firms that you recruit for, what are they looking for right now as far as skill sets in technology? So the, the skill sets within technology that I'm seeing the most, there's a few central areas that I think are being hit the most as far as, you know, me getting calls on. First and foremost, cloud. That's an area, you know, as I'm sure you both know, that really took off before the pandemic. But I would say that law firms more than ever are apt to making that change to at least a hybrid environment where they're they're putting some of the stuff on the cloud. They're they're not going to dip completely into the pool, but they're going to, you know, put, you know, half their body in and say, we're willing to put this on there. So having the professionals that are able to do that maybe even taking someone from outside of the industry that's done this in the past, moved an organization to a hybrid model or a full cloud, you know, is something that I've been getting a lot of calls on. So another area that is really hitting the ground running, and this has been something that's been over the past few years, but I think 
you know, in the middle of pandemic, I've been getting a lot of calls on this as well as the knowledge management area. Both of you are extremely familiar with this. It's not only knowledge management in general, but it's the niche positions within a knowledge management team because a lot of firms obviously are going to a variety of different products, both being built in-house and you know through third-party vendors that they're utilizing. So they need to find people that that have good skill sets that fit the model that they're looking for as far as the delivery is concerned, the innovation and the origin within the knowledge management. So that that's a hot area as well. And then another area that I think both of you can speak to as well is the security area. With the remote work, it's essential to have a strong security team. It was before, and I think it's going to continue to rise as far as you know the need to build out strong teams and not to use third parties as much on the security side. So bringing in a strong team in-house that you know someone could wear different hats. They're doing third-party risk. They're dealing with some, you know, audit factors, but then they have the ability to engineer solutions, you know, really deal with incident response, security operations. Those are all areas that are being sought after. And I think that that's going to continue to gain steam. Well, Jeff, I, I had to laugh. Uh, one of the things that, that you've said, and, and we've talked uh, on the show about this before, is uh, the need to to have a cloud solution that is much more prevalent now than it was three years ago. And I joke in, you know, internally as like, if I ever wanted to kill a project, I would just tell the IT group that it's cloud-based and it would yeah. automatically be nixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's almost like you, you can't really even bring in, uh, you know, new products or, or new features without there being some type of at least hybrid uh, cloud interface with, with that. So, now, one of the things I did want to follow up on that for you is, are you seeing different approaches based on the size of the organization? So are large law firms taking a different approach than their smaller counterparts? Yeah, I, I actually do believe that. Um, large firms do have the luxury of being able to be you know, a lot more aggressive you know, in their hiring patterns because one bad hire is not going to make or break the organization. So I can see that. I mean, it it is. You're when you have a smaller staff, then you know each hire is very important. So it's yeah, it's it's almost do or die. But you do you do see that the larger firms are are getting extremely aggressive. It's almost becoming a little bit of a frenzy to get really talented people that are willing to move during the pandemic. So the firms that are showing that they're building and they're on the you know uptick tend to get this the strong candidates right now. The mid-size and smaller firms, while they are doing some hiring, it's a little bit more selective. It's one off for this group, two off for this group, as opposed to saying, hey, we need we need five financial systems engineers to build out our team. Or, you know, we, we really want to go to the cloud, for example, we need an engineer, we need an admin, and we need someone that's working the security behind that. So I think that the small mid-sized firms are being a little bit more, you know, I'd use the word cautious. And the bigger firms are trying to get the best talent available that can, you know, check off the boxes. That's actually interesting because it just seems like we get so much feedback that it's like we're, we're trying to contain costs and like, you know, even large firms are keeping their staffs very, very lean. And yet you're getting this feedback that, yeah, we need to, we need to hire the best and the brightest. And just, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> noting it. It's like, you know, cause you know, that's not the message I'm 
hearing that we can just like, yeah, we got to go get these people. It's all like very, very cautious about bringing new people in. And in fact, cutting and keeping things cut. Yeah, I, I think it's it's so interesting because I think from firm to firm, it, it just varies so much. It all depends because the revenues came out, you know, at, at the beginning of the year for how the firms actually did in 2020. Mm-hmm. And surprising enough, a ton of the firms beat there year over year. So, yep. you know, these firms are saying we still, have pro- we still have projects that we need to complete. We still have programs that we spent the money on up front. Now we just need the talent. So that's where the, the saying is, let's go out and get the talent to match it. It's not just let's hire anybody. You know, it's right. more so they're being selective, of course, you know, and I, I want to be quoted on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are being selective. Yes. Yeah, they, are, they are being extremely selective, but they are hiring, which, which is a great thing for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, what particular jobs do you think have been hit the hardest and, you know, either maybe reduced or, or changed forever. Because, you know, if there's people out there that are in those positions, they're going to need to pivot and try and do something else. And on the flip side, and, and this is also for those people, you know, did, did the pandemic crisis create new types of jobs um, or make existing jobs more important, I guess, or, or yeah. more at the forefront? So I'll start off with the, the negative that a lot of admin positions, as we all saw, were hit pretty hard in the industry. The ratios of, you know, admins that are needed for different groups or practice areas were definitely cut and hit pretty hard. On the IT side, I saw as well that some of the desktop, you know, area was hit decently hard as well. It coincides with everybody going remote, but I that was one area that I saw, you know, more so than not, you know, individuals that are looking for new opportunities or got let go or furloughed. That was the area that I saw, you know, definitely was hit the most. And then on the other side, an area that definitely has grown a lot due to the sort of quantitative value of each individual person that's in the organization is data analytics. This is an area that is really building up speed at a a rapid pace. And whether it's, you know, uh, statistics or someone that's just doing data analysis, there are a lot of firms that are looking for people that can really quantify the value of each individual person in the organization. And then obviously, all the different trends that are going on, whether it's um, office space or per partner or different ways that they're spending their money, they need someone to analyze it even further than just the uh, FP&As are. It's a, it's a deeper dive using technology to do it. Are you seeing those data analytics positions being in accounting and in the finance groups or where, no, they, where, are they, they being, where are they landing? And funny enough, they, they sit in IT because they are using so much technology. I know originally everybody would look at SQL as a tool that was you know used for that sort of stuff, but it's all the third-party tools now that are, that are being used for whether it's SaaS, data, or you know, you're doing testing with everything. Um, it's just Tableau, just to name a few. There's so many tools that are being used. These firms want to find out what matches you know, the platforms that they have and then hire teams of people that are going to help utilize the tools that they have to sort of utilize that information you know, to better the business. So if, if they're sitting in IT, you know, if, if you know, you know how, are they, how are they partnering with the subject matter experts? Because they, they may know how to use the resource, but 
you know, from the, the business side of the house, do, do they know how to put together something that has vis- business value? Absolutely. I mean, it depends upon the level that they're coming in. The more senior candidate will have the ability to cross-functionally work with different areas within the business. They'll have a sense within a professional services environment who they need to touch and you know what the value is and who the stakeholders are. But the junior, the junior candidates are culling the data, cleaning the data, making sure that it's usable and in a, in a great format for the firms to, to move forward with. So it all depends upon the level of personnel. All right. And I just want to wrap it up with some positive notes, but what's the good news generally? What can people expect, you know, in the job market sort of, of moving forward? I mean, good news is, is welcome. And I, I think that, you know, the job market is definitely trending upwards. If you look at any of the major job sites, whether it's Indeed, Dice, you know, the amount of open positions and I can tell you there are a ton of, of yeah. like information um, type roles in healthcare. Incredible. It's amazing the amount that we've seen sort of not only in the legal industry, but overall how technology's really taken precedence over over almost any other area in most industries where the value that we've started to see in the legal industry over the past several years is actually transposing into other industries. And I I find that to be exciting. I think that it's good news for anyone. You know, if someone wants to stay within the legal industry, great, that's a good career path. But if someone wants to take their skills and move it to a healthcare industry, they're able to do that as well. So you're able to pivot your career pretty nicely at this point, if you have a great skill set and you're, you're willing to work at it. Mm -hmm. What about uh, more flexibility? What about an ability to kind of create your own role a little bit. I was going to actually mention that uh, regarding good news is that a lot of firms, and this is very interesting, are more than willing to have a person sit remote. And if it's a New York-based firm, they don't necessarily need to sit them in New York now or in the in the tri-state area. They could have someone you know in Houston that's doing the job. If you have someone that's strong in an area and it's in a you know niche skill set, they want to have someone sit, sit in a different time zone where before that wasn't even possible. So that's more good news right there that that employers are being a little bit more flexible on where the person's willing to sit. So, you know, I, I think things are start, starting to come together in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people are still a little bit nervous as far as wanting to, you know, reach out, start looking at, at new jobs. But uh, as we have said around here a few times, uh, you know, you shouldn't let a crisis go to waste. Uh, so if somebody's looking for a new job role, is now the time? Or what are, what are you advising for people that are, are looking to kind of s- stretch their, uh, their limbs and, and get out there? Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, constant look in the mirror. And I think that this is a situation where you want to you figure out what you're good at. And if you can really, really break down what your core competencies are as an employee that an employer is looking for and something you love to do, you can do it. You know, I think now's the time to maybe explore that option. And then on the other side, I'm, I'm definitely urging my candidates, you know, if they have a passion in a certain area to explore, you know, certifications that may match that. For example, you know, if you really, you know, have the love for the cloud, you may want to explore an Azure certification or, if you're someone that you know really wants to get into the systems area, explore the MCSA, MCP, et cetera. So 
you know, look in the mirror and then also, you know, see what you can do to educate yourself on your own time to match your, your passion for what you want to do moving forward. I think that's pretty good advice. Well, uh, Jeff Zoda, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a great conversation, very inspiring. And thank you. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate your time and have a great one. You too. Well, that was a great conversation with, uh, with Jeff. I think it was good to sort of hear where we were and sort of where we are and then where we're moving toward. And I mean, I think he had some really good thoughts in terms of where people might want to focus in terms of, well, where people and, and, and organizations might want to focus in terms of, of different types of job roles. Yeah. And, and I was a little surprised. I don't know why I haven't seen this, but when he mentioned that there were 5,000 jobs added uh, in the legal industry, that, uh, that kind of caught me a, a little off guard. I knew that law firms were having really, really good years, but I thought they were kind of having really, really good years because they were doing it with less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was kind of what I was thinking too. So, I mean, I, I also was surprised at that, that statistic, but hey, if, if that's the truth, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I, and I still think that some places are being a little hesitant on hiring people that will stay remote or are hiring people that are outside of their normal region. So if they're a New York firm and then hiring people in Texas, um, I think that I think just as as we start fighting over talent, though, they're going to have to give up on that and and understand that people are going to work where people are going to work and um, you got to you got to get the talent where it is rather than move the talent to where you are. Yeah, it's you know I, I think that that you know there's there's probably some flexibility like if if organizations have offices in different locations, you know that's that's one thing versus you know having somebody you know completely in a state where where they don't have have a practice. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I think that that you know, it's sort of a new area for for firms. I mean, we we had talked about remote work for a while before the pandemic, but I mean, this is this is different. This is yeah. this is like remote work and and you know, our you know, firms are I think are hesitant because they're, they're not completely they're sort of struggling with okay, how do we you know, how do we make sure that work, you know, continues to get done? Like how do we track that like how do we keep you know you know apprised of that when someone's not in the office and i mean i think it's it's you can do it uh of course and and of course someone being in the office doesn't necessarily mean you know work is getting done either so uh (laughs) you know we just we just have to be creative and experiment with that yeah well thanks again to jeff zoda for taking the time to talk with us thank you jeff Before we go, we want to remind listeners to take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review us as well. If you have comments about today's show or suggestions for a future show, you can reach us on Twitter at at GayBauerM or at Glambert, or you can call the Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7270, or email us at geekandreviewpodcast at gmail.com. As always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will talk with you later. Okay, bye-bye.